0: This morning, on the Wake Up Call with KB and Andy.
1: Jeremiah Johnson going to join us. We'll talk some Pacers with him. Coming up at 8 o'clock, college football playoff. Uh, They figured out what they're going to do for the next couple years, and I say that because I'm sure it will change like it always does. We'll talk about that coming up at 8 o'clock as well mark we had about 15 minutes ago before the checkdown we had a gentleman call in uh mm-hmm. wh- what was his name and he's from the oh. Indianapolis 500 is that right he was from the 500 he's from the 500 festival okay and he mentioned uh because KB asked the question what happens to all the you know the big posters around yeah. town that have you know whether they be pacer players or Maxi or Giannis or Carl Anthony towns what happens to those and he says they go to a company called pup yeah. and they can actually repeat purpose those for other items, Yeah, I guess? they make them
2: into, like, backpacks and jackets and all that other kind of stuff and everything. Nice.
1: Well, that's a good thing yeah. to do. I like that. Yeah, uh-huh. I'm fine with that. I figured they would just sell it to charity. <laughs> Somebody's got a lot of money would come in, you know, like the say family, and they would buy some of those, but that's that's cool if they can do that. I got no problem with that. Again, Chris Gall from Visit Any
3: going to join us here uh, later in the show. I, I, boy, you would have to, like, map out a list, but Andy, when you think of multi-day events... For a city to host, I would assume, particularly in the continental U.S., you got to think the all-star game for the NBA and the NFL Combine would rank easily on the top
1: 10. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, the, the Combine isn't the NFL draft, you know, which is going to be in Detroit where they close down the entire downtown. But... Uh, as I always say, it's still good to be a parking attendant. It's still good to own some rooms at the JW Marriott, is it not? Oh my gosh, that's an understatement. <laughs> Especially when league personnel is, you know, a black card in it, I would,
3: see, I would think a whole lot. you damn right. I think the per diem's looking pretty nice on that end. So again, we'll chat with Chris Gall coming up. Uh, at 9.45.
1: All right, uh, Mike Woodson conversation. Let's play this sound. I played this during the checkdown. but for people just joining us yesterday, the conversation, you know, Mike Woodson was asked about it at the end of his press conference, and I'm blanking on the gentleman that asked him, but, you know, it was basically, hey, you're going to be 66 years old uh not even bringing up that the team is really struggling this season but hey how long do you think you're going to want to do this you know your retirement age here's what Mike Woodson had to say
4: you know I came back to try to put this team in the best position possible and you know I'm going to continue to, to do that I mean I'm I'm 60 almost 66 but I feel good and I still move around and I think I still think, well, in terms of the game and I still think I can teach the game. So I don't know. I mean, there are coaches that are coaching into their 70s and, you know, I don't know if that's something I'll do. I don't know. You know, I'll. But at this point, I'll take it a, a day at a time, a year at a time. I'm not going anywhere anytime soon, guys. I'm just not. So I'm going to continue to build this team and and try to put this team in the best position possible and see where it leads us. All
1: right, so I have two questions and just some thoughts uh, emanating from that sound. I did love, and we need to make this the motto of the show, I think I still think well. (laughs) What Mike Woodson had to say. I'm sure Indiana fans heard some of those quotes, uh, and they weren't happy. And then the other thing I was thinking, and I don't know, there's some coaches – that hear all of the outside stuff, right? That hear all of the, if they're losing, that hear all the complaining. I'll give you, the perfect example is John Calipari. No one consumes more of what his fan base says about him negatively than John Calipari. I don't know how much Mike Woodson consumes of the unhappiness with the average Indiana fan. And the average Indiana fan is done with Mike Woodson. But what did you make of his comments? I didn't think it was too crazy. I didn't expect him to say, yeah, I'm going to be gone here in two months. Yeah, I wanted to make
3: sure that I watched that entire presser yesterday because I, I wanted to hear when and I guess how that question was asked. And it was you know, pretty much lobbed to him of actually the person that asked it mentioned, I'm 66 years old. And, you know, preface with the joke of, you know, Whatever at times I don't feel super motivated. You know how do you feel at that age? That answer really doesn't bother me too too much. Um, I get that there's a little bit of a guys. Even if you want me gone, I ain't going where, going anywhere. And you know you could kind of maybe on the inside he's saying that with a bit of a cackle, and that could you know obviously frustrate some IU fans. I thought one of the more head scratching comments though, Woodson related from yesterday was not necessarily that answer, Andy. It was. And I believe I have the phrase right. When he talked about assembling a roster for this season, when he talked about you know putting together you know guards specifically for this season, he used the phrase that they were praying Xavier Johnson wouldn't get hurt. And I'm thinking to myself, boy, if I am praying a dude coming off a broken foot, and I think it's very fair to call Xavier Johnson a volatile player. Inconsistent would be another word you could use. But there is some volatility to his game. He's a a
1: fine player. There's
3: been moments, certainly a couple years ago, where he was the catalyst to leading them into the NCAA tournament, into the Dayton playing games. And then there's been other moments where he's a big reason why you are not in the tournament picture or or hovering on some sort of bubble there. But if you're praying that that guy is going to stay healthy... That's not a plan that I want to put all of my chips in the middle of the table to. He said something that they felt like Jalen Hood Chafino was going to be
1: back. For- you you, you want to hear this? We, yeah, yeah, yeah go ahead, had, And, play and this by song. the way, yeah. it was Tom Brew who asked. He's from the the SI uh, IU site. Uh, It's Tom Brew. That's who asked the question about, hey, I'm 66 too. How are you feeling as a head coach of Indiana? Here's what you're talking about. This is about a minute or so, K-Beats. Woodson on Jalen hood Shafino. Now, the the premise of this is he's asked about Gabe Cups. What kind of season has Gabe Cups had? And so that goes into we didn't think we were gonna have to play him nearly as much. Obviously, didn't think they were gonna have to start Gabe Cups because they thought Hood Shafino would be back. And obviously, uh you mentioned Xavier Johnson.
4: He's been thrown to the to the Wolves basically as a freshman. You know, and I recruited Gabe, you know, the the deal was, you know, we would everybody thought Jalen wouldn't be a, a one and done. That was the whole deal. And you had X and you knew Gabe would come in and probably be a third point guard behind two, really two veteran guys, you know, Jalen being a sophomore now. And, you know, we, when we knew Jalen was leaving, we desperately tried to find a backup point guard or a starting point guard to go along with Xavier and Gallo. So... We we explored. We talked to different guys, and and guys went to different, you know, went other places based on they thought that was a better fit. So, you know, we basically came into this season hoping like hell that X didn't get hurt, and Gabe would get an opportunity to learn slowly. But well, that hadn't been the case. He's been thrown right out there and. And I think he's had a good freshman season, man. I mean, consider it.
3: Hoping like hell probably would lead me to try to find some insurance. Um, They got an open scholarship, right, that they did not use. Ja'Kai Newton, a lot of signs that freshman was heading towards a medical redshirt well before coming to Bloomington. So pretty much they're playing with two open scholarships. And and officially they are playing with one here this season. Um, I I guess a couple things. First on the hood Shafino front. If you're recruiting a five-star, in today's culture, <laughs> it's unbelievable. you better plan he's one and done. He's a top-20 kid. And I, I recall talking to some people around the IU program, like, when the NBA scouts came to Bloomington in the fall to watch practice, it was very clear to them early on, like, that kid ain't staying here very long, guys, and pointing to Jalen hood shafino And, you know, obviously... Huchifino wasn't great out of the gate, but I think you saw some early Big Ten games. I, I seem to call Iowa Northwestern right out of the new calendar year, where all of a sudden it became pretty clear that he was not going to be in Bloomington for, for very long. Um, the other thing, and, and I just think in general, if you have a five star kid, and I feel this way about McKenzie and Baco, certainly, you hope for the best, but you plan for the worst because y- y- you've got to do that. And then when he's talking about cups, Boy, at times I'm feeling like like they act like Cups is like a walk-on. And I know it's low-hanging fruit to compare Indiana and Purdue, but I do think in this instance, Purdue made a very concerted effort to try to get a portal point guard a couple of years ago. Um, what's a kid from Iowa State who went to Texas? Hunter is the last name.
1: Um, oh, good. Tyre- uh, is it Tyrese? Uh, yeah, Tyrese Hunter, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that oh, every, was a guy everybody, everybody that they him. pursued. Sure, Purdue sure.
3: really wanted Nigel Pack, yep. and remember the what's the dude's name from Miami who came in with the medical insurance company? And <laughs> Nigel Pack all of a sudden became uh, Miami Hurricane. But you know during that cycle, it was a hey, we need to go out and get a portal point guard, and then Braden Smith would then play in that backup role. If you think back to how Indiana recruited with Gabe Cups, when Gabe Cups was committed. The thought was Xavier Johnson would not be in Bloomington for this six year. The only reason Xavier Johnson is still in Bloomington is because he broke his foot in the December game against Kansas. And then he got the medical red shirt. That again was not even a guarantee. So having to play cups, you know, these types of minutes, like there's this thought that this is some Bloomington South walk-on that all of a sudden, you know, his father has donated all this money to the program, and that's the only reason he's there. Right. Braden Smith was thrust into the exact same duty. That Gabe Cups is really being asked to, and as a freshman was an All-Freshman guard. And if you want to get technical with recruiting r- rankings, Gabe Cups was ranked higher than Braden Smith. So again, I know it's low-hanging fruit to compare Purdue and Indiana, but I I think it's relevant to our audience to to do that. I just I don't agree at all with the A. We thought Hood Shafina was coming back. B. We were hoping and praying that Xavier Johnson would stay healthy you need to find insurance policies. You need to make sure that you can cover your you-know-what in case volatility occurs with Xavier Johnson like it has his entire college career or an injury situation occurs, which unfortunately, that's what he's battling right now, especially when you have an open scholarship and especially when it's a guard because guard play matters a whole lot. Banking on Xavier Johnson and then Trey Galloway to go from role player to lead guard for a whatever you want to label Indiana, the hope would have been a tournament team, That's a big ask. And to me, that's risky business that now has come back to bite Indiana.
1: You know, one of the things that if you're an Indiana fan and Woodson's going to be here, let's say it's even a couple years, not just, you know, next year is the swan song, is I don't like the way, not only how Woodson built the team, but, you know, and I've been yelling and screaming about that ever since they played Army, right, KB? We've been talking about this for months, going back to, you know, October, November, is no one's playing the role that's good for them on this team. Except for maybe Khalil Ware, right? Am I? I mean, he's obviously showing up uh, in these mock drafts. I mean, this is not good for Trey Galloway. He's playing out of position. I mean, Woodson even talked about that yesterday. That he's trying to keep you know Trey Galloway in a good spot. Galloway's got to score more than he ever should have to. He's got to play point guard. He never should be playing point guard. And a lot of times, you know, he's got he's got to d up the best guy. He's got to d up the best backcourt player for the respective team. Hell, we'll probably see that tonight against Nebraska. And you go listen. You you mentioned Ucheffino. I listen. You're a top twenty kid who's a five star. I I don't know that that scares the hell out of me that Mike Woodson doesn't know what's going on. Yeah, and I again, th- hope for the and, best, but you got to plan and for I, the th- worst. I think you know what's going on because they paid a bunch of nil money to get Mackenzie and Baco. I mean, they went and they got, you know, they're in Adidas school and they took a Nike kid and Khalil Ware to get him to campus. So I know you know, I know you and your assistants know how to play the game just a little bit. Don't act like, oh, Hood surprised us. Well, if he surprised you before the season, it became very apparent during the season when he was having great games that this wasn't going to be a guy. And then outside of, and I don't mean this to make this a Purdue thing, but outside of Purdue and a few other teams, KB, you view these guys in a one in a one year prism, you just do. And I use Purdue because Matt Painter has kept a lot of guys right for for, and that's that's been the Purdue way is to keep a lot of these guys and develop a lot of these guys. Virginia, when they were rolling, uh, has been able to do it. And I just I, maybe he's not trying to throw this kid under the bus, but Mike Woodson has some sort of obsession, does he not, with Xavier Johnson? <laughs> <laughs> like, like I don't know. He's he's just very accepting of Xavier and acting like the Xavier Johnson is. Is a good piece to the puzzle. And yeah. I don't feel like he is a... He's not a great piece to the puzzle. I know that. I'm not trying to down the kid, but Mike Woodson talks about him like he's something that, that the rest of us don't see. And that's what I don't understand. Yeah,
3: he, he talks about him like he's such a sure thing. Like, this is a surefire, all Big Ten type of guard. There are moments where he certainly is that. Certainly. But um to me... Uh, again, use Mike Woodson's own words. What do he say? We were hoping that he'd stay healthy. We were, you know, I mean, uh, hope is a yeah. dangerous game to play. And when you have 13 scholarships, utilizing all 13 of them would seem pretty wise when you do have the injury concerns that you have. I mean, Having a broken foot for a change of pace point guard like Xavier Johnson, hoping he'd come back from that in less than a year, that to me is difficult in its own right. And then again, there's just natural inconsistency with him as a player to where I've labeled him Lance Stevenson. It, it, it's good Lance and it's bad Lance. And that's the up and down nature that comes he, with a player like that he, and not banking on insurance. like That's where, again, Purdue made efforts in the portal to go after you know the Nigel Pax and Tyrese Hunters of the world. And when it didn't work out, the eggs were in the Braden Smith basket. And luckily for them, yeah, and a credit to Braden Smith player, and that coaching right. staff, it worked
1: out and they were able to handle that. For Indiana, it's been in the Gabe Cup's basket, and that has not worked out at all. Last thing, he used the word desperate as well, going to get guards. I, I find that to be worrisome. IU should not be desperate. And at that point, you got to go money whip two men major guards. Yeah, and that's what Mike Woodson didn't do. And who knows? Maybe they'd be a bubble team. At least we'd be talking about a tournament. Maybe they'd be in the playing game. But they needed to go with all the kind of bullets in the gun that IU basketball has and money whip a couple guys to not play for, you know, Texas A&M Commerce to go play and to go play at Indiana on a one-year deal.
3: Pacers All-Star break storylines. What are we watching for when they return from the break? Where are their playoff odds? That that number kind of surprised me. We'll touch on that on the other side. It is the wake up call, 8 o'clock hour here on a gorgeous Wednesday.
5: Life is full of things to manage your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kisimta, ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kisimta and check out the details at Kisimta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
1: No. Oh, you didn't see this at all. You didn't see this. Oh, I thought my you were goodness. bringing up Justin
3: Fields and the Bears here.
1: <laughs> what did something happen with Justin Fields and the Bears? Are not they going to move him? He, somewhere? he unfollowed
2: them on uh, oh, Instagram. He, un- he
1: unfollowed them. Who cares? He should. Who them. keeps
2: track of that? Yeah, by they're the going to.
1: They're going to. Someone has no life. They're going to get Caleb Williams. They're good to go. Uh, Ellie smashed a, a foul ball, a deep foul ball of of uh, Hunter Green. Oh. He hit a car.
3: Don't look now, but here come the Red
1: legs. I'm very
3: optimistic about the Reds. This it, year. it was uh, I feel Gre- like You say that every year. It was Hunter
1: Green's car. Hunter Green threw the pitch. Dela Cruz hit a deep fly ball. That's what Hunter Green
3: gets for parking his car it, there. Uh, they Luckily, it- if there's any player on the Reds <laughs> roster that can afford that, it's Hunter Green. <laughs>
1: he would be one of the only ones. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Mark, are
2: you good with Justin Fields uh, departing? Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm kind of resigned to it. I think that's what they're going to end up doing. Just because, I mean. It, they're saying it's going to take a historic, a historic haul to move them off of the number one spot. So I don't. So think you don't anything... turn
3: into the trade back, get the historic haul, build a football team, and then either Justin Fields is the answer, or in a couple years down the road, you then draft that QB.
2: No, I think they. I think they did that last year. They're not going to get a better haul. I don't think. than I don't think anyone's going to come up to match what they're looking for for the number one spot. So I think they're going to take Williams. They're going to move off of fields, see what they can get for him. I've heard rumors of a second round pick. Okay. We'll see. Uh, But yeah, I'll be interested to see where he lands. There's Steelers and Falcons rumors. So we'll see where he It'll ends be
3: up. Be a popular topic when we're at the combine next week. Yep. Oh, it's gonna hey.
1: be—it's gonna be a very one. Mark's gonna be painting his uh, his uh, fingernails like Caleb Williams uh-huh. here coming up uh, in just a few weeks. The,
3: so Bear, that, the Bears be run the NFL offseason <laughs> once Get <an> again. F and D at one point on those nails. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. All right, you said you had some odds. Pacers back in yeah, what action do you think? tomorrow. Okay,
3: what do you think right now? Pacers are the sixth seed in the playoffs. Right. Um, they are what a half game up on Orlando and Miami. Uh, Is that they, right? Yeah, they are a
1: half game up on Miami and Orlando. Orlando and what is it three and a half games up on Chicago okay so
3: playoff chances for the Pacers with 26 games to go what do you think those percentages
1: are oh I think it's probably pretty high I'd say they're what they're minus 1500 maybe something like that I mean they're going to make the playoffs it's a matter of are they the six seed or are they the seven or eight right I mean that's the conversation
2: Mark take a stab at it you're bringing this up like they're like they're really shockingly low I know you're scaring me. Well, I know.
3: I think I bring. I don't I know, guess, even know where to go. I guess Mark, before you give your answer, I, I bring it up as, like, being the six versus the seven is a gargantuan difference.
1: Oh, it's a huge, it's a huge difference like, on how we're to view Obviously, if you are the team. six,
3: you're in the playoffs, duh. But if you're the seventh. You are literally playing for your playoff lives. Now, you get two cracks at it. It's again, seven versus eight. The winner of that becomes a seven seed. Nine versus 10, the winner of that plays a loser of seven and eight. I think for the most part, we know how the playing works right now. But basically, they are a half game away from playing winner go home games to be in the playoffs. Um, I was shocked to see the number at 89% of them making the playoffs. Like, I mean, you are just one game away from being in the play-in. And that's where anything goes. And if you look at the play if you face Orlando, Orlando's been arguably the team that's had the biggest thorn wow. in your side they're, this they're, season. They're
1: a bad matchup. I mean, we've talked about that So all then, uh, yeah. let's
3: say, just play out the hypothetical, you lose to Orlando if you were to get Atlanta. I mean, that's one Trey Young 45-point night. I mean, when you've played Atlanta this year, it's been 150 to 150 type of game. So that's where I was surprised to see it that high. It started the year at 60%. And now as we sit here coming back from the All-Star break, an
2: 89% chance to make the playoffs. So it's a good surprise. Because you were scaring me making it seem like it was a bad. I was
1: surprised it was that hot. Yeah, yeah. but are they counting the playing games as the
3: playoffs? No, no, no. Oh, you, so, you have so to be not, one of the ma- eight seats. Okay.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no.
3: you got to be one of the eight. got to be in the actual bracket of well, the playoffs. I mean, so basically, if you bet $10 right now on the Pacers to make the playoffs, you'd win a $1.25 if they made the
1: playoffs. I know people that have done those bets. You bet a thousand dollars to win uh, to win a hundred, something like that. Well, I mean, they're saying they're already the six seed, right? Uh, I mean, I mean, I'm just, I'm just going by what the odds may say. Okay, they're already the sixth seed, and if they get into the play-in situation, you know, they're still seen as probably one of the better teams. I, I think for me, you know, yesterday or was it two days ago? Is Monday? We had Tony East on, and he mentioned how he thinks ultimately they end up being the seven seed. And he threw in there his reasoning was the Miami Heat. Are just a better team than the Pacers. They have more championship medal, if you will. Uh, they have a couple, you know, uh, the, you know, you have Bam, and you have obviously my man Tyler Hero. I'm kidding. Jimmy Butler. Uh, they made the move for Terry Rozier. He thinks in the you know in these next 25, 26 games that they will move up. The Pacers could slip down, and then that gets us into what is scary is the conversation around Orlando because this year it's been admitted that Orlando is a bad matchup, just like the Pacers perhaps are a bad matchup for someone like Milwaukee. By the way, I have a bucks take here in a second Uh, for Milwaukee. That might be Orlando. And you know, if they're in that play in, and they were to lose out the way we would view this season would be so different than if they're just simply the six seed and they take care of business. I mean, there's a lot to play for here in 26 games. And I will say on top of it, what's going to be, I don't know how this is going to be seen by fans, but you know, everyone who's been on our air, whether it's Carlisle, Chad Buchanan, they've all said, hey, you know, we're still building this thing. So last year you go from, top 10 lottery KB to this year, if you even made the play-in or if you, you know, if you're in the play-in, you win the play-in and you go get blasted in the first round. I don't think that's going to happen. Can they swing that to us of look at the growth from last year this year. We had some injuries. We made some substantial moves. Now we get an offseason with Halliburton and Pascal Siakam. To me, if they don't get the 6 seed, it's going to be what they can sell to us, and I don't know the answer. I don't think you are going to be too accepting of any of that. No, not at
3: all. I mean, again, before the Siakam trade, start of the year, what I say to you? 5 or 6 seed, 45 wins. Right now, they're exactly on that path. Literally, they're 31 and 25. If you map that out to 82 games, it'd be a 45 win season. They're sitting there in the six seed right now. And again, this is pre Siakam trade. When you make the Siakam trade and you do something that is much more of a short term win now sort of move, those expectations have sure. to rise. Things change, right? So if There's you no don't get to those levels, and just more than anything, and Andy, you and I were there last Thursday at the vote. Again. How many times does Tyrese Halliburton bring up the fact that he's never played in a playoff game? I I swear he did it five different times. Uh, It's a big deal to this franchise. Sitting on that couch for for an hour. It's a big deal to your star. And if you start looking at playoff appearances for these guys, certainly Siakam brings a lot of history. But there's not much on this roster, especially from your main guys. And if you're a guy like Miles Turner, it's been quite some time since you have experienced that. Um, Again, I am very up in the air on what type of Pacers team we're about to see. They just went through easily their most up and down month of the season. There's plenty of context around that via trades and injuries. And you could say that about a lot of Eastern Conference teams, to be fair right now. A lot of them are dealing with some health questions. Um, But, you know, as you look ahead to tomorrow night when the Pacers get back on the court, I thought Rick Carlisle kind of hinted at it to us yesterday. These first seven games out of the break – you've got to take advantage oh, of need, them big time. They need to time. be 5-2, and two, something you like that. You start with four home games. Yep. You don't play a single team in the top five of either conference. Uh, you play the worst team in the East tomorrow. You play the worst team in the West in San Antonio coming up in a couple of games. You need to take advantage of that. Now, again, having said that, there's still questions of, okay, you know, what's that second unit look like cohesion-wise? I think your bench has really struggled for consistency since really the Siakam and probably more the Buddy Heald trade and what does that unit look like? Now, again, Matherin has been out for some of that. Jalen Smith has been out for some of that. There's a trickle-down effect if Aaron Neesmith doesn't play tomorrow night in what your starting lineup would would look like. So, um, on paper, there's a beautiful opportunity here to string some together out of the gate But I also sit here and think, man, what team are we about to see? Again, the last time we saw them... I have no idea. ...in that Toronto game... They just
1: were surviving to get that win. Now,
3: again, you missed a lot of guys in that game. Um, Can you start to formulate a bit of consistency here? But, uh, yes, it would be an outright disappointment if you did not make the playoffs. And I'd argue it'd be a bit disappointing if you fell into the play-in. Well, yes. I mean, I I would agree with you. Now, teams, I, I, I say... I say that a little bit half-hearted because Miami is a perfect example, Andy. You can make up for it if you just make the dance and then obviously pull off a huge upset. Now, that's not a given. The NBA very rarely see seven or eight seeds do that in the opening round. But I view a successful second half into the postseason as you get one of these top six seeds and you are extremely competitive in a round one series. Extremely competitive.
1: Yeah, see, I'm with you, and I would even go. I'll, here's a step further, I would go. I kind of feel like, listen, Boston, you know, Boston to me is the team that's going to be in the finals for, you know, from the Eastern Conference. I think Boston's just a bad matchup for many, many teams in the NBA, including. The, the the Pacers. So do I want to see I do I want to stay away from Boston? Would I want to see a Cleveland? Now, I happen to think the Knicks, if OG comes back and he's healthy, I think they could be a tricky matchup as well. You want to stay away from Boston. I think for me, what I am going to find interesting, not only with you, but I'm using you as the example if they don't pull through in these final 26 games and i'm with you i don't know what to expect over the next month and a half or so is has this season become very little gray area very little nuance very much pass or fail that's how it sounds like that's how that's the situation kind of i feel like you're setting up is Listen, if they can make the playoffs because they need to play in these series to get that experience, You, it's kind of like Anthony Richardson. He can sit all year, he can have the shoulder injury, and he can be mentally locked into practices and games, but that's not the same thing as going out there against the Baltimore Ravens and playing 60 minutes of football. Well, it's uh, not the same thing. Again, especially
3: it, when you don't have your first-round pick. Like, the, 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 There's no point in like, I mean, I look at these NBA mock drafts and I look at them to see where Zach Eady and Cleo Ware are. Like, that, that's where my interest is. What? It's not necessarily to look at them and say, okay, if the Pacers don't make the playoffs right, they, or if they bow out early, where would they be? There's nothing in round well, one. You, you, have so, a, you
1: have an early round two.
3: But in, again, in, it's not their own. I know. In, that, so, so the Pacers' standings, it doesn't matter where the Pacers finish record-wise because they don't have that that, that early second-round pick. is Toronto's, correct? It's it's
1: Toronto's, so right. So that's the team we so, honestly so it's should gonna, be. it's going to be a high pick, but it's not a first-rounder. It's a second-rounder. I mean, the only thing Like, in I would, years past, you had your sure. first-round you, so there was a, a chunk of the fan
3: base, I'm not saying it was overwhelming, that cared more about that. Now it has shifted. And the Siakam trade, again, has shifted it more in my eyes of, no, 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 we're not playing the mock draft game here in 2024. We're playing the you get experience at a level that your franchise has not seen in quite some time, which is a it's a foreign experience for, for us. In this market. We're not used to the Pacers. No,
1: it's a good conversation. A it's, it's a good conversation instead of worrying about, okay, who's the and if you look at these mod drafts, boy, there are some names. People are not gonna know so many of these lottery picks, KB, it's going to be funny when we start going through some of these, because there's a lot of guys who are on random, either college teams uh, who are foreign players that people are just not going to know, or who have played in, you know, G league, you know, elite ignite, whatever it is. I would say last thing on this, two things. Jairus Walker is kind of your draft pick. I know people may not want to hear that, but, this is a redshirt year for him for the most part. So next year, there is a guy that you're developing that you expect to be a big part of your team. It's not a rookie. I understand. It's not the same as getting you know the 11th overall pick, but Jarris Walker is part of the conversation. And then you know I've looked at you and some of these fans and said, what's the gray area, pass, fail, whatever. We don't need to do that. We can look at Tyrese Halliburton. If they don't make the playoffs... Tyrese Halliburton, I think, will come out and say this season did not go the way we thought it was going to go. I think he will create the narrative of this wasn't good enough. That's my yeah. opinion at and the end of the year. And he's right, frankly.
3: Um, yeah, he would be right. I looked at a couple of mock drafts yesterday NBA-wise. Uh, interesting to see, I guess, both of these mocks. And I don't know if this is a big man bias, but ESPN with Jonathan um, Gavoni, is that it? Yeah, Gavoni. Um, yeah.
1: He had Zach Eady. 13 to the Kings. That's the highest I've ever seen him, right? In the last two seasons?
3: Now, let me read off the other names. Again, compare it to Sam Fasini with the Athletic. But Edie 13 to the Kings. Khalil Ware 24 to the Pelicans. The Athletics mock draft had Edie going the final pick of round one to Boston. And then Khalil Ware going 43 to the Rockets. So, if you look at that, Edie drops 17 spots from one mock to the next. Ware drops 19 from one. It almost seemed like the ESPN mock is not as much like, "Hey, we don't care about big guys." <laughs> you know, yeah, like no uh, we're gonna—that's we're, we're, a big we're gonna, discrepancy,
1: honestly. And, and, and it's
3: both of them. You know, yeah. it'd be one thing if it was just one of the players, one of the two. And I get that Edie and Ware are not the exact same player. Granted, you'd label both of them as big guys, um, but still, uh, that's a little bit of an insight. Look into Let me ask where Khalil Ware and where Zach Eady are being projected
1: right L- now. Let me ask you this. If I said one guy. And by the way, McKenzie and was round. not in either. Yeah, he wasn't in any of them. If I said one guy were to go in the first round, who do you think it would be? Eady or Khalil Ware? Well, I would say E.D. just based off that, uh, it, it's,
3: it probably would have been a fair question at the start of the season. Right. Just because I felt like there was that knock from the NBA that, you know, Edie is still not necessarily considered a first round talent. I mean, when you read more on why they, there's been this change of heart with Edie, you know, it seems like, okay, he plays a little bit better in space. He's continuing to dominate college basketball at a crazy level. Um, I think people are starting to realize just. I mean, again, the organized basketball to him is, what, seven years, six years? And if you look at his form from a shooting standpoint, like, it looks very good to me. You know, can he, because I think we have to remember with Edie, once he gets into an NBA game, Andy, no team is going to be game planning to take away Zach Edie at the NBA level. Like, right now, if you're Steve Peichel for tomorrow night, or, yeah, Thursday night, like, you are, plan A, B, and C is all about what you're going to do with Edie. When he comes into the game as that ninth man, let's just say, for the Boston Celtics next year, you think they have put Jason Tatum, (laughs) Jalen Brown, Drew Holiday, and company ahead of Zach Eadie in the scouting report. And if you put Sam Hauser and you put Peyton Pritchard and you put these shooters around him, you obviously are spacing the floor because right now, even with Purdue – I mean, Trey Kaufman-Wren clogs up a lot of space Yeah, no kidding. from that starting lineup standpoint. I think that's why you see Mason Gillis play as many minutes as he does I, when I, the to- second half I rolls to- around. I totally agree. So, totally agree. I, honestly, more than anything, I am just so curious to see Edie. Like, I could envision Trace Jackson-Davis. Runs the floor, great. Going to be a bit of a lob guy. You know, okay, that that to me makes sense. How Edie looks, though, and the lack of attention that will be there for it. like, our NBA teams going to run doubles at him? find me a big that gets in the game with a second unit in the NBA and teams run double teams at the dude. <laughs> you know, it, it, it but then again, find me or show me and you probably can a lot second unit, you know, point guards that run circles around big men that don't defend well in space and you try to bring that guy away from the basket because obviously shooting is much more prevalent from you know, Cliff Amore, I think uh Purdue will be happy if he you know, chucks a few threes tomorrow night there'll be big men in the NBA that get in with the second unit, i.e. a Jalen Smith or something like that, where you aren't going to have that, that sort of luxury. So I would say Edie, um,
1: but that has definitely
3: changed for me in the last couple of months. Edie's
1: one of those guys where if he went 23rd, okay, we wouldn't be surprised. And if the NBA did their potential game and he ended up slipping into the second round, I don't think I would be surprised either. In fact, I would I would take Edie before Khalil Ware, if we're talking about the first round, any round, for that matter. But I could totally see Khalil Ware get taken before Zach Edie. Totally. Yeah. And, and Ware,
3: totally. I think, to be fair to him, it, it hasn't been perfect by any means of Bloomington, but he's certainly helped himself from what the narrative was but exiting Oregon.
1: He, he's been the only guy that, I mean, I'm sitting here saying, I mean, they'll lose a the game. He'll have 22 and 12. I and, mean, don't you feel that way? You're watching them. It's like, well, besides Khalil Ware, there ain't much there. I mean, look at Renew's game. Is and it's the off. variety
3: of the skill set. Like, I mean, this is a guy that can stretch it a little bit, you know, has some nice post moves. You know, there are time, you're going to have to put weight on that body. And again, the motor is going to have to continue to increase. But you see some rim protection. You're like, okay, how old is he? 19 or 20. And we can work with that skill set. I, I get why there's yeah, some NBA. 19. There's some NBA entry. In- yeah, with him, I think certainly. I
1: think I looked at it. It was I think ESPN does this. He'll be nineteen in six months. I think uh when he's drafted, uh will we'll clear where Just looking at Sam Viceni's on the athletic. Uh get ready. Uh you want to break these down, Mark Dyke. You ready for these? Uh the top pick going to the Pistons, uh Pistons, Zachariah uh Reisker. Do you know anything about him from JL Borg? Oh, Sounds like a store at the mall. <laughs> Alex Sar. Now, we've seen a lot of him. I feel like I've seen... He's the big dude from down under, yeah, right? Yeah, he's from the Perth Wildcats. He's going two. Three would be Nicola Topic. Um, again, I don't know. And then our first college player at four... Cody Williams, who nobody knows who that is. That's a guy from uh, Colorado. From Colorado. Right? Uh, and then we get into some people we know. We're going to need but... Fran Freshella on the main set
3: this year with all the international. Seems brothers like brothers a good year to just not
2: have draft picks. <laughs>
3: <laughs> now, obviously, <laughs> it's a great thing for Edie and you know? Ware. And again, this is where I think you'll see a lot of guys that you say, wait, that guy's declaring for the draft? Right. Because they realize it is a down year um for the draft um all right coming up in a bit jeremiah johnson gonna join us at nine you think jj will be a fan of the nba versus world
1: yeah i'm fl- i think he will be now he was he was in attendance i need to know what jj what kind of uh seats he had for the festivities was on friday good. saturday and sunday he
3: nice like, him and pat boylan were looking
2: fancy on sunday night does he know what show he's coming on at nine o'clock uh we did shake hands and make up oh that's the
1: rick carlisle uh coaches show that's is that the, the exact phrase? That... Do, do we ever find the
3: audio mark
2: <laughs> no, I, I dug and dug. I couldn't find it.
1: Chris
3: Gall going to join us coming up to round things out. Again, the combine and the all-star game in back-to-back, or I guess a little uh, slight week break in between the two. Uh, quite. Life is full of things
5: to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, Ask your healthcare provider about Kisimta and check out the details at Keysimta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
3: The time of year for sports events here in the city of Indianapolis.
5: I always
1: love, like the listener, uh, what kind of mood is Mark Dighton going to be in? A little hip-hop today from uh, Marky from D. I like that. Welcome in. Uh, wake up, call. KB and Andy hanging out with you. One more hour to go, as always. Broadcasting live from the drivehubler.com studios. You miss any of the show, check it out. 1075thefan.com. All right, let's head on out. Payless Liquors Hotline. Jeremiah Johnson joining us. JJ, Bally's Sports Indiana. Uh, Jeremiah, good morning. We appreciate you joining us. Before we dive into all-star break stuff, and I want to get your thoughts, obviously, being around all the festivities this weekend. KB and I were just mentioning this, that right now the odds of the Pacers making the playoffs, not, you know, the top eight seeds, okay, not just the play but actually making the playoff rounds is over 89, what was it, 89.9%. What do you think of that number? Those odds, obviously, pretty good for the Pacers.
0: First, I'd like to say it's an honor to be a guest on the Rick Carlisle Show. Happy to be uh, joining you guys this morning. Second qualifier I'll make is that uh, as a team employee, I'm not allowed to, uh, to speak to odds specifically, uh, but I'll just say that uh, the Pacers are in a good position now. And when the season started, I still thought that the playoffs were a goal for the team, and that was something they would shoot for, not just to be at the play-in tournament, but to be in the real playoffs. And right now, I mean, it's basically if there are some tiers in the Eastern Conference, and you can clearly see the top team is Boston. Then two through five is another tier. And and right now it's it's Pacers, Heat, and Magic in six, seven, and eight. And if you're seventh or eighth, you still have some work to do. So uh, if you're seventh or eighth, you're not guaranteed to be a playoff team, but you have a very good chance compared to if you're ninth or tenth. But I think this team is shooting on – a goal towards being top six and not having to to deal with the play in tournament. So I like their chances. Health will be a big determining factor over the final third of the season. And and that's another thing that's kind of worth pointing out. It's not the halfway point of the season. Two-thirds of the season already in the books, uh, less than one-third left. And so every game from this point forward is really important.
3: I do want to get to that health, but I must acknowledge I will never forget the glare I got from Jeremiah Johnson as I'm going up the escalator the other night after the Warriors game. Uh, Probably a, a show you weren't looking forward to, too, too much, J.J., after that home effort in the old loft there, but I did yell down to Jeremiah from the escalator. Um, shout out to the Rick Carlisle radio show there. And let's just say JJ didn't smile too much at me. So JJ, I apologize for that.
1: But you guys shook hands, right? The
3: all-star well, we weekend, did. you guys made we up. We did. Okay. Shook
0: hands, exchanged some texts. Well, I'd heard it for two straight days every time I tuned in, whether it was your show or you calling in another show or someone telling me they heard you talking about a show. And then, uh, you know, that wasn't the most pleasant game to watch. And I don't always hear everything that is yelled from the fans on the escalator, but that just happened to be a moment where uh, the uh, the intercom in the entry pavilion happened to be a little bit lower. I did look up and see you. Hey, there, there was no, there was no ill will intended by that look.
3: Uh, I love it. I love it. Jeremiah Johnson, obviously from Valley Sports, joining us here. Pacers back in action tomorrow night as they return from the All-Star break. I do want to ask All-Star-related questions, but let's start here. Uh, Aaron Niesmith Limited, was that the Rick Carlo update after their uh, return to practice yesterday?
0: Yeah, uh, full disclosure, I didn't go down to practice last night. Decided to uh, have it another day off of the All-Star break with the Zionsville Cathedral game. But um, I listened to him on uh, the, the wake-up call with KB and Andy, and pretty much what he said on that show uh, matched what he said after practice yesterday. And the, the fact that Aaron Niesmith was there put up a few shots. Uh, I'm not sure how much he participated. It it was one of those practices that you often see after the All-Star break where you want to get guys in, get some guys to work up a little bit of a sweat for those that hadn't touched a basketball for a few days. So we'll see what happens today. Um, but it does appear as though it's a lot better than you feared when he left the court in Toronto.
3: JJ, I mean this is no slight to Pascal Siakam, maybe even Miles Turner. I think Aaron Nesmith is the second most indispensable player on this team. Like, I, I think he gives you that type of presence on both ends of the floor. I know you were there in Toronto the night he got hurt. To me, you could just watch the first like 90 seconds of that second half, right before he got hurt, and saw everything that he does for this team. He hit a three on uh, the offensive end of the floor to start the second half. Boom, comes down the other end, helps side defense two different times, forces a stop. I think he tried to take a charge, if I'm not mistaken, one of those times. And then he comes down, he drives the lane, tries to dunk it, and it should have been a foul, and that's when he got hurt. To me, he's that valuable. I know contractually there's other guys, other guys score more. To me, he's the second most indispensable player on this team.
0: Because of what he's done with his three-point shooting, you, you saw last year someone that would bring the energy, the intensity, he would crash the glass, he would accept defensive assignments. But to do that and then be one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA, I don't think that I would argue with, you know, and it depends on the game and the situation. But the other thing you'd have to consider is, is what's behind him. If Miles Turner misses a game, you do have Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith that in spot minutes can – fill that role, they don't have a lot of three and D wings with experience on this team. And so you never know, you never uh, doubt what he'll bring you from an intensity level. And and you mentioned everything that he does and you can see it every single game. So I wouldn't argue with you. And, and that's why the health question, it's not just him, but he is a big part of that that final third of the season and where this team can go, he needs to be healthy.
1: Jeremiah Johnson with us here, uh, talking some Pacers with him on the Payless Liquors Hotline. KB, this is for you. We haven't talked too much about this. If he doesn't play tonight or if Neesmith does miss a couple games – what do you think? What do we think? Carlisle does there, starting rotation wise. Uh, I know there's a lot of injuries, but I mean there have been injuries, but now I kind of feel like it may be just him. We'll see what happens with Jalen. What do we think, uh, Jeremiah? What do you? What do you think he does with that starting lineup if Nee Smith is out tomorrow night?
0: It might depend on who you're playing and whether that team has a real talented wing scorer. Um, and, and you look, you basically have in your second unit. Benedict Matherin, Ben Shepard, Doug McDermott, guys that can play the two or the three a little bit. And so my, my initial thought would be that Benedict Matherin would get that opportunity and you would give him that, that challenge of stepping up and guarding someone of that level. Or maybe it's Andrew Nemhard that guards the wing and, and you have Benedict Matherin in the backcourt. Uh, we'll see. Doug McDermott has barely even had a chance to practice, but he does have that experience. And that would be something that, depending on who you're playing, maybe you could throw him into the mix. But, again, that's why I said that Aaron Neesmith is so important. And the other option, and this is something that we might see over this next month or two, remember that Phoenix game when when Jairus Walker played really well and Rick Carlisle mentioned that you saw that he could play some three and not just some four? Who knows? Maybe it's it's an opportunity, maybe if not with the starting group, but you see Jairus Walker play some three because it does – you've got Obi Toppin who really is a four – and he's giving you really good backup minutes. And if you have an issue with Pascal Siakam, you could play Obi Toppin there. But the three position is one that's a little bit of a question mark right now. So who knows? Jairus Walker could get into the mix as well. But Ben Shepherd's play in Toronto might have vaulted him up the list. Maybe I should move him higher in, in my answer here because he, he knocked down shots. He made a big stop. Maybe he gets that opportunity as well. There are some options. And there are a lot of things to consider when Rick Carlisle's making that decision.
3: Yeah, big fourth quarter moments from Ben Shepard, certainly the last time the Pacers played a week ago tonight. Again, Jeremiah Johnson is with us here from Bally Sports. 7 o'clock tip, it'll be the Pacers and Pistons. Are we going to get a Benedict Mather and Jay Ivey camera watch tomorrow <laughs> night?
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated. As if we didn't have enough already to talk about with everything that happened with All-Star Weekend, the first game out of the break, it's, the Jaden Ivey Benedict Matherin rivalry. And I wasn't actually surprised. I, I was a little surprised you saw that intensity in that game because it's a, it's an all star game. It's the Rising Stars game. And you saw Benedict Matherin smiling, but I didn't see too many smiles from Jaden Ivey. And those two players, every time they've played against each other, and it's probably been now you know four or five times in the NBA last season and this season, I think maybe one of them might have been hurt one or two of the times. But. It, there hasn't been a lot of love lost. And I remember one question, uh, the Benning Mather, either before they were get set to play each other, just because they went through the pre-draft process together and they were drafted right next to each other. I think I asked him at one point if he had any, you know, developed a relationship with Jaden Ivey. He just kind of looked at me and said, nah, not really. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I don't know. I am interested to see Central Division. It's what I, I love
3: I've about played. him, frankly. What's that? It's what I love about him. Like it yeah. just, you'd rather have to rein that in than create it.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's definitely not someone that's going to go and handshake and and hug every member of the opposing team. If he knows someone, he'll go say hi to them after a game. But if not, he's going to get he's going to get off the court pretty quickly unless he's has some post game interview responsibility. So uh, I don't know. If this is exactly what he said, but I thought he's like, no, we're not friends.
5: <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: and we saw that on on Friday night. Although he was smiling, and I did enjoy seeing. Some of Benedict Matherin's personality on Friday night.
1: Uh, Some of the smiles, it's him smiling, and sometimes the smile is menacing. Because I was going to say, it had like a Batman
3: Joker feel to it I kind of feel like
1: Matherin will tell Ivy or anybody, bleep off, but will be smiling (laughs) while he's doing so. Uh, Jeremiah Johnson with us from Bally's here on the Pay Less Liquors Hotline. uh, uh, Wednesday, almost said a Thursday on the fan. Matherin himself, you know, was, you know, last week we we had Carlisle on, and he was like, I'm worried about the health of uh, Benedict Matherin had kind of what the knee, the leg injury, uh, the illness that was going through the team. They needed to get him healthy. And boy, Jeremiah, he looked healthy this past weekend. He is such a big deal for this team finishing this season strong and doing something in the postseason. If you ask me, what are you watching these final 26 games is, now that he's healthy, what can Matherin do with Buddy healed out of the way? To me, that's the number one question that I have.
0: It is a it is a big question. It's something to watch, and I'll continue to say something that I've said over the last year and a half is that don't judge Benedict Matherin over one quarter or even one game. He still is going to have his ups and downs moving forward, but he's yet to really be fully healthy since the the Buddy Heel trade, and that was something that people were watching. How would he um, embrace a bigger role, take a bigger responsibility? I don't know that it matters at all if he starts or comes off the bench. If he's healthy and playing well and he comes off the bench, he's likely to be on the court in the fourth quarter. Rick Carlisle goes with the players that will succeed in in those situations and it sounds a little cliche, goes with a hot hand. So Benedict Matherin will have his good moments. He'll have maybe an off game because he's a second-year player. But I am going to be watching that. And in that second unit right now, when you don't have Buddy Heald, you really need him to provide some scoring punch because think about November, December, early January, when this team was having a lot of success consistently, every single night you looked down at the end of the game and the second unit was outscoring the opposition by 15 to 20 points. Now, I'm not saying that's required because I think your starting group is a little bit better right now just by simply having Pascal Siakam and having Aaron Niesmith play so well. But you do have to come in You have to see that group come into the game and at least keep things even. And if you can get an advantage when those guys are on the court, even better. And Benedict Mather gives you the best chance to do that. So I'll be watching as well. Uh, Even though he was busy All-Star weekend, I think it was a little bit of a break for him. As you noted, he looked pretty healthy on Friday and Saturday night. But the biggest thing was I I saw all those smiles. So to me, he'll be rested and ready. and, And he'll be definitely someone to watch over the next few weeks. Again, Jeremiah
3: Johnson, coverage for the crew over there at Bally going to begin tomorrow night, 6.30. The Pacers back in action. They are a heavy favorite in this one here out of the break. All right, JJ, I am pitching. I don't know if I'm going to save the world here with this idea, but I'm going to pitch two ideas for the All-Star game, okay? Let's get back to the Elam ending. I like that. I think it's a little bit more of a competitive fourth quarter. And I'm going to pitch NBA versus World. My world team is this. And those have asked about Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid is, uh, he could have opted to play for, I think it was Cameroon, France, or the U.S., and he said he'll play for the U.S. in the Olympics. So I'm taking Embiid off the world team. My starting lineup Luca, the Joker, Giannis, Jamal Murray, Shea Gilgis Alexander. My bench unit, God, we're really big uh, coming off the bench here <laughs> Yama, Sabonis, Siakam, Laurie Markinen. Carl Anthony Towns, Rudy Gobert, and O.G. Ananobi. A few guards that just missed it for me. Lou Dort – I need guards, really. Matherin, Franz Wagner. What do you think about my NBA versus world idea to try to revive Sunday night?
0: As long as you talk to all those players, and they will determine that winning that game and representing the world, not just their country, is is an important factor – um, I'm on board. I think it would be a good show. It's going to be tough depending I'm worried about year.
3: that now that you said that yeah. out loud because I watched Luca and Joker the other <laughs> night and it looked like me out there.
0: <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, I was a part of uh, Luca's post-game interview and uh, he put about as much effort into that as he did it during the game. He wanted to get out of Dodge as quickly as he could. Um, I-, I really think they all have to come to co- some consensus and I'm a little disappointed it didn't happen this year because you knew that they weren't happy with the show they put on in Utah. And I thought a guy like Giannis or maybe even LeBron would have gotten everybody together and said, let's do things just a little bit differently. And and it was somewhat the same. One of the things you'll have to say, and this hasn't been said a whole lot is, I mean the shot making, the way those guys can knock down those shots, you've got to bring, you might think you were playing better defense. I watched early on and I felt like there were some guys that were down in a stance really trying. And even though they tried, those shots were going in. So at some point they just sort of uh, moved on with uh, back to reverted back to all-star basketball. So I think they went into the game with the right intentions, but then it just became too easy to just marvel at the offensive side and not, not play defense. I, I'm, you know, I heard, I think I heard Andy yesterday criticizing the major league baseball all-star game and the home, the home field advantage. I may be in the minority here, Oh boy. But that, that added something to me because there is something I don't that, disagree with that any team. And it's not that big of a deal. I mean, you can win a series, whether it's 2-3-2, it's two, two, whether you're the team that has the three or that has the two. But every player that's on a team is, is a team that, at least at the midway point of the season, thinks, I want to be in the NBA Finals. And if there's a chance that the home court advantage can help me, maybe it adds a little to it. I thought those baseball games, those baseball all-star games when they did that, I thought it added just a little bit. I don't see why you wouldn't try something like that. And the other thing that is tough from an aesthetic standpoint, you saw the money matter in the in-season tournament. Those games were going to be still a big deal because they counted for the regular season. They were part of the schedule. Maybe you figure out some way where there's some financial incentive and you match a charity aspect of it to where um, it gets their attention. So I I don't know that – Someone above my pay grade is going to have to have some of those discussions, but I don't want to see it go the way of you know the flag football of the Pro Bowl, and because I didn't, I don't even know that I've even cared one bit about that over the last few years. I thought All Star Saturday was really good, but you still need to have a basketball game to bring all of these people into town and and to make it a full event. So hopefully they can work on things. USA versus the world, I'm not against that as well. Again, as long as everybody's buying it and everybody's focused on playing a little bit different style of game, then you could go that route.
3: JJ, I'll add one more thing, and I brought up Luka and and Jokic and them not giving really any effort at all Sunday night. Um, I shared this story earlier. I was actually listening to Micah Shrewsbury yesterday because I'm a Notre Dame basketball nerd, and he shared a story about when he coached with Brad Stevens in 2017 in the All-Star Game, it was Giannis's first All-Star Game. And the West is beating the East, so Brad Stevens and Mike Shrewsbury and that staff are losing, and I say that in quotes, at at, at halftime. And Giannis looks around the locker room, and Michael Shrewsbury said, all of a sudden he chimes in and goes, hey, is this where we start trying? And <laughs> it, it, it was kind of one of those moments where it's like, and now Giannis is in this boat, to be fair. But now, sure. like... If your top guys set the tone, I think the guys underneath them will follow. It wasn't much, but I thought like when Paulo Boncaro and Scotty Barnes got in the game for their first run on Sunday night, they were even at a little bit of an upper tick. Just because like they weren't used to, okay, exactly, where am I supposed to fall in the speed limit lane here? And I just think that's so important of... When these guys get together in the summer and they go to the Drew League or they go to wherever and they play a pickup game and it has more intensity than Sunday night in the All-Star game, why? Well, it's because the top guys are setting the tone. And I think if the top guys, for whatever reason, if it's financial, financial. If it's USA versus world, whatever. If they start to set a higher tone, then I think that's really the only main way we see an uptick in it.
0: That is definitely where it starts, and that's why I think Adam Silver was so disappointed is he's a he's a players commissioner. He's given in a lot over his time to making things better for the players, and I thought he – I mean, he, I think he felt like he had the leadership on his side where they all agreed it needed to be a little bit better, and then the product on the court didn't match what he thought would happen. You bring up a good point in the coaching staff. It, it starts with the the top players – but who has a harder job than those coaches? Because they don't—they know one way to coach. This isn't what they would want. However, you can't sit there and yell at a, a player before the game or spend a lot of time putting in offensive sets or, or coming up with some defensive adjustments if everyone's going to laugh at you. And you don't want to do that either because, who knows, you may want to try to coach one of these players at some point. So this is the one game where – the coaches aren't really – they don't have that much power. They're kind of just sitting there. And I even asked Chris Finch after the game, I said, you've got like a four- or five-minute timeout, it seems, and you're standing there with your coaches. <laughs> what are you guys talking about while while the players are on the bench? And, and you know, I'll ah, well, we'll try to set up a play for somebody here or there, but there's not a whole lot you can you can do. So um, I feel for those guys as well, and it's, it's it, that's an interesting story from Micah and – And Brad, we'll see what happens. I know they'll try to make some adjustments, and I'll be interested to see what those are.
1: Jeremiah Johnson with us here from Bally's on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Last one for me, uh, J.J., I mean, I don't know. What was your favorite thing uh, over the weekend? Festivities on Thursday, and then obviously Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. What stood out to you being uh, behind the scenes and kind of attending so many of the different events?
0: From an on-court perspective, that LED court, I had, when I first saw it, I was like, is this really going to work? And when I saw the the media unveil on, on Thursday and I walked on the court, I thought, you know, this could be pretty cool. And the way they executed that in the building, I was real impressed, how they matched with the dunks and how they changed things up. Uh, someone asked one of the uh, people in charge if that's the future of basketball courts, and he said, hold on, hold on just a little bit, maybe long, long, time down the road but it is something they can use to capture the attention And i thought it added to all-star saturday night and i did want to say that uh, some of the feedback after saturday night that you saw from people watching on television to me did not match what i felt in the building i thought that was a really good show again i mean the three-point contest three or four people tied at 26 the skills challenge went to a tiebreaker the slam dunk contest It's going to get criticized every year because it's not Michael Jordan, Dominique Wilkins, but some of those dunks, if you just, you know, didn't know who was doing them, I would say they would compare somewhat favorably. So um, not, not to Michael Jordan, but to some of the other ones that people are nostalgic about. So I thought the Saturday show was really good, especially for those in the building, maybe TNT, the broadcast didn't match what it was in the building. So that's probably my highlight. The other highlight, and this is a shout out to many of the people listening. The number of Pacers fans that I saw, just I made the walk from Cambridge Fieldhouse to cross over to Lucas Oil Stadium probably ten different times, and the amount of people that stopped and yelled "Go Pacers" and were enthusiastic, and and even just for me personally, you know, told me they appreciated our work. I, it made me feel good, and so shout out to all the Pacers fans that that were able to make you know one day of it, a weekend of it, whatever you were able to experience. But the Pacers fans, I thought really really showed out and showed up, and I felt their enthusiasm. And I can tell every time they said something like, go Pacers, they told me how excited they are for the next few months. And so I think it's going to be a fun finish to this season.
3: Four home games out of the gate, it starts tomorrow night. JJ and company will have your coverage. She is Jeremiah Johnson, Valley Sports, again, beginning at 6.30 tomorrow night. Pacers and Pistons and the sideshow of Matherin versus Ivy Coming up tomorrow night inside of Gamebridge Fieldhouse. JJ, good running into you Sunday night. I promise no more dirty looks from the loft, uh, from the escalator down to the loft.
5: Thanks
0: for being a good sport. The wake up call with KB <laughs> and Andy is thriving in February. How about the energy
3: level right there?
0: By the way, Zinesville or
3: Cathedral last night? Ooh. Who won?
0: Oh, the Cathedral won. Was yep. it close? Um, first quarter, maybe a halftime. I think it was about an eight-point game, and did up about twenty. Is uh
3: Hilton's wow. does Hilton's kid start for Zionsville?
0: Yep, yep. He starts. He's a, a good energy player. Um, but yeah, just uh, all cathedral in that one.
3: Well, I'll be watching the Zionsville product, Logan Imes tonight. Notre Dame and Louisville. If you want to come over, JJ, and watch that at the Bowen household, so you just let me know. Okay.
0: Okay, sounds good. <laughs>